0: So, three years ago, Telefonica, one of the biggest telcos in the world with 360 million customers, as many as the U.S. population, decided to become a digital telco and compete in the digital world with digital products. So, us, the R&D unit, had to turn ourselves inside out to support it, and it was a great challenge where we had ahead because building digital products is completely different from building traditional telco products. The uncertainty is much higher. The way you create value for customers is completely different. And life cycles are much faster. So we were in a situation where we needed to start getting radically different results and start doing things in a different way in, within a large corporation. So by that time, we have read Eric's book, and it felt as if Lean Startup could be of help. Our initial hypothesis is that startup could help us dealing with uncertainty. But there is a serious distance between reading a book and getting startup rolling in a big company like ours. So what we did is we start with two projects and then apply it to an addition program we had already in place. And this gave us the experience and confidence to take the next step that was applying it to all the innovation projects. So how did we do it? We asked our projects to follow a few rules. First, start small, aim high. So the projects have a high level of ambition, but start with minimum resources, and investment increases as project progresses with validated learnings. Iterate fast to achieve efficiency in each of the maturation stages. Test in the market from the very beginning. Fail fast, fail cheap, and make sure you learn along the way. Encourage multidisciplinary teams with a mixture of profiles, engineering, user experience, scientific research, business. Rely on the open innovation program we have already in place to complement our skills and killing those projects that are not progressing. Because by killing a project that is not progressing, you're giving another team the opportunity to test another idea. And why not be successful? Ideally, the killing should be done by the team or the project leader. And we have several examples of this. We even have uh, our own serial killer, a project leader that has killed the two projects he has led. Probably won't stop there. And we're proud of him. But when you kill a project, you have to ensure a debriefing process takes place to make the most of the learnings and the work done in that project. This way, you avoid the frustration that can create killing a project in a team when they see their effort and work goes nowhere. But applying Lean Start App means a different way of doing things. So we also realized that we needed another three initiatives in place to activate it. Lean Startup Training, from our initial experience, we realized it made a difference. So we ensure all the teams get it from the beginning. Internal mentors, or as we like calling ourselves, corporate innovation hackers, because projects could not be left going solo. So what we do is provide guidance and support to teams uh, of the Lean Startup methodology, but also with internal politics and processes. But when we started, we were also learning. So the first meeting we had with the team, um, it was uh, for providing support and guidance. Afterwards, they described this meeting as the worst meeting ever. (laughs) So we learned, unfortunately, the tough way that we also needed to rely on external mentors that helped with the methodology, but also providing an external point of view and external contacts. And I want to insist, this is what we tried, but we had no idea how this would turn out. And, uh, what's more important here is that with seven rules on three levers, we have been able to adapt Lean App to make it viable in a large corporation like Telefonica. Luckily, in May last year, Steve Blank wrote his article, Why Lean App Changes Everything That Was Published in the Hive Business Review. In this article, he wrote, Despite the methodology's name, in the long term, some of the biggest payoffs may be gained by the large companies that embrace it. So we weren't as crazy as we thought. Even better, now we could be respectable, because Harvard Business Review cannot be wrong, can it? (laughs) (laughs) So we, we also had to face serious challenges and overcome them. Fortunately, we also had nice experiences, surprises, and unexpected friends. One of the challenges was dealing with corporate politics and processes that are here to stay and are not disappearing just because you're running some fancy lean startup thing. Market validations and customer traction gives you serious credibility in front of an executive committee. But it's still key to deal with corporate politics and processes if you want innovation projects to progress in a large organization. This is what Henry Chesbrough calls getting upstairs in the building in his excellent article, why internal ventures are different from external startups. And our team dedicates a significant part of the time to this task. One of our project leaders estimated he devoted 30% of his time to this. So to manage and to deal with corporate politics and processes our strategy was engage with the people in charge of the corporate processes, like purchases, sit down with them, explain them why we work like this and what we need from them. And it turns out that most of the time, they understand it. Sorry, I have skipped one. We, and another thing we did also was getting commitment and support from top management. It's still very important because bringing stakeholders from the beginning, it's really key. We also communicate what we were doing, the activities we were carrying on, and also explain how they are progressing and the results you're achieving. And now, yes, another challenge was finding intrapreneurs. Lean Tab means a different way of doing things implies a mindset change from achievers and performers to pioneers and explorers. So we needed intrapreneurs. And intrapreneurs are different from entrepreneurs. They're different animals. Entrepreneurs must navigate the company, because corporate innovation must be pushed outside in the market, but also has to find its place inside the company. Remember what I just said about getting upstairs in the building? So we needed entrepreneurs, and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to find them. So in our case, what we realized is that when you give them the opportunity to emerge, they become visible. We have innovation calls open to everybody, so anybody can present an innovation proposal. And it has proven to be a very good way to identify them. Having a strong brand is really a great advantage when you're launching a new product in the market. But in the early stages, when you're experimenting, relying on MVPs, using the brand can bias or contaminate the results. So you don't know what you're measuring. Not to mention, you can get in serious trouble if you mess with the brand. When I was going to have my first meeting with the brand department to explain them why we work like this and what we needed from them, I was thinking, God, these are the people that tell you the Telefonica logo must have a certain color. It has to go on the right, not on the left. It has an exclusion zone where you cannot put anything else. They even tell you how Telefonica must be pronounced. So how am I going to explain them? We make experiments, A-B testing. We launch landing pages without even having a product, just to test the value proposition. So I did the only thing I thought I could do, that is explain in a transparent way how we work, why, and what we needed from them. And it turned out they understood it perfectly. And they are willing to provide solutions that suit each case, suit each project. They created the Telefonica Lab look and feel for those products that are in a better stage. And you can hear them saying things like, we need Telefonica to be related to innovative projects because in the end this is contributing to our objective of becoming a digital telco. Now I'm going to show you a couple of examples of the Telefonica Lab look and feel. (coughs) This is the RadioMe project. It's a device for elderly people to send and receive WhatsApp messages. So it's a look and feel quite, quite flex- flexible. And this is another is the Thinking Things project. It's an Internet of Things solution based in blocks. And each block has a different function. And by putting it together, you can build your personalized Internet of Things solution. So different look and feels with the same telephonic lab thing.
1: So when you want to engage in a conversation, run an experiment in the business-to-business segment, chances are that this customer is going to be in somebody's account already. And this account manager, understandably, is going to be very upset if she's not aware of what an innovation team is up to. So we really recommend to engage the salespeople early on in the process, and especially because they are great at getting the doors open for you, which is an advantage that normally startups don't have. We have a great project called uh, Mobile Connect focused on providing strong authentication capabilities based on the SIM. And the team behind this project is awesome. And they have managed to turn the salespeople into ter- into problem detectors for the innovation project, and they were not charging the innovation project. Uh, we have also seen on one occasion something very interesting. The customer development process can give the salespeople the opportunity to go well beyond IT and easily reach departments like marketing or operations that were hard to conduct before. But You really need to tackle sales expectations, because they are focused on short-term selling, and you are focused on short-term learning. According to the experience of Javier, the leader of Thinking Things, the best thing is to start with two to three medium small businesses and experiment and learn there. Because if you go astride for the enterprises, you are going to face a lot of pressure. Now, I think we're all on the same page. Um, If you try to measure innovation, applying KPIs designed for the exploitation of of a business, you just destroy your efforts. That's fine. But what do you do instead? So we come up with a combination of both qualitative and quantitative metrics, always keeping in mind that we are looking for mid- to long-term results, but out of the aggregated set of projects. For example, for individual projects, we focus on getting metrics around validated learnings and also around how fast these learnings are happening. But at the same time, since we are a corporation, we also have metrics to check the health of the funnel, like how many projects set, new projects come up, projects that get out into the main businesses, um, projects that get killed and projects that mature and evolve correctly along the different phases. And this is the toughest challenge of all by far. When it's time to scale up and projects need to grow seriously, and then they need to make the transition into the regular business units and product line, then they start competing in the go-to-market race with existing businesses. And what happens here is not just the budget. That's only part of the story. You also compete for marketing and operations support for sales attention, for a space in the channel, and corporate processes are not designed at all to support this transition. The good news is that if your project has been running lean startup and customer development, they can survive much better because they can bring to the table clear evidences that there is a market out there, and also can bring customers Still, at this point, uh, support and commitment from the c suit and from key stakeholders is more critical than at any other point of the life of an innovation project. With this context, we have identified clearly two patterns. I'm sure you are familiar with them. On one side, when the innovation project is aligned with an existing business, if the project has traction, the transition is not so hard. But if the project is aiming at building a completely new business, then it's very, very tough. You have to bring all that evidences, prove in a very clear way that there's a market, that there's demand. You even have to explain how this new product is going to be sold. Now, I like this challenge. It was unexpected. We should have known, but we didn't. Uh, As a company, with many engineers, we are hardwired to think about the solution first, and this long list of features. So it's being challenging to convince people to step back, identify all the assumptions that they have, and make sure that they start by identifying a real problem in a customer that is very painful, that is worth solving, and that the solution they are proposing is much better than the existing alternatives. But Then it's not going to be all about challenges. Great things have happened. And we are really proud to share with you today the achievements that our people got, like getting out of the building for good and engaging in conversations with customers. This project that you see on our screen makes 30 interviews in one day in the queue of a very important museum in Madrid and also in very busy streets. This is part of the Radio Me project. These people made 50 interviews to better define their customer segment. Normally, it's very hard, especially for technical people, to get out of the building and engage with with customers. It's something they haven't done before. Sometimes it almost fails if we have to carry them out. But uh, if you offer them support and advice, Things happen. And the great news is that once they start working in this way, there's no going back. They see the value immediately. They have this great story of one of our our, uh, technical product managers, senior guy in his 50s, that had never talked to a potential customer for any of the products he was working so hard to build. So when we asked him, what is the most valuable thing that you take with you out of this methodology, he said straight away, having face-to-face conversations with customers. This is a reality check absolutely everybody should go through. Now, projects are today working in this iterative way focusing on on delivering true, on building and delivering true value for the customers and getting very early market feedback. And of course, when hypotheses prove wrong, pivoting. For example, we have this other project that began working in the B2C segment. They made 42 interviews. And after this, they realized that uh, people kind of had the problem that we we're trying to address, but this problem wasn't that painful after all. And people were already solving it reasonably well. So they decided to pivot into the B2B segment. And in there, in the finance and banking industry, they found really deep and fa- painful problems that were wor- worth solving. And their solution was a lot better what was already in place. Um, Bootstrapping is is, is complicated, and to do that, people have to leave their comfort zones. But since innovation projects, by default, have minimal resources, we have seen how this encourages imagination and creativity. So one of our project leaders uh, that works on movement detection pattern from a smartphone would drive his car a little bit crazily in an open field or put his mobile phone in the pocket of his daughter while she is playing in the park. All of, this, all of this to save money and resources. Also, our leaders recruit peers that are not extremely busy at a certain point in time to get skills and work for free for the project. In this image that you see on screen, you can see the different, incredibly fast iterations of the Radio RadioMe MVP prototypes. The first one, only cardboard and glue, took a couple of hours. The second one, three D printed empty box, couple of days. Third one was functional and was given to people and was ready in two weeks. And the final one, much more polished, that was sold for real in Telefónica flagship store, took just two months. These, in here, you can see the different iterations and versions of the MVP prototypes for the Thinking Things project. All of this eventually coming together began to create an entrepreneurship spirit. Uh, Teams worked as a single unit, not having to wait for instructions from somewhere else to make the decisions, and this made all of the process a lot more agile and fast. And something that we didn't know at the beginning is that this way of working, where they have the opportunity to see their baby ideas grow and take their own decisions with full empowerment, is a reward on its own. It's something our people really value. But then what happens with all these things that we're doing? Right? What is the impact we are having? What about uncertainty, and what about being fast? So um, we'll share some numbers. We accelerated the innovation cycle in a factor of 2.6. Before, it would have taken us around four months to start the initial results. And now, in less than one month and a half, we are getting meaningful insights. Furthermore, with slightly less budget, we have managed to make 45% more projects, with an average reduction of 48% in the median budget invested in each of them. These three numbers mean two powerful things. One, yes, we have actually reduced the overall risk by augmenting the granularity of the bets and by minimizing the cost of failure for each individual project. And also, we have increased the chances of having a significant impact in the business because within the same time frame and budget, we get many more chances to experiment and learn how to build a product that can make money for the company. Susanna and I are the lucky ones on stage today, but we are just a small part of a great team of awesome people And today, we want to thank them and give them all the credit they deserve from the Lean Startup Conference. So, if you are sitting in a large corporation wondering how to get along, very quickly, just remember a few things. This is a new way of doing things. Make sure you develop a program with internal and external mentorship and training to support your people with the change. Make sure you have multidisciplinary teams with variety of profiles and complement skills relying on open innovation and trust your people. Give them full empowerment and autonomy. And learn to kill. This is very important. Learn to kill projects. So, in any case, yes, lean startup can work in a large corporation, but you really need to adapt it to make it viable for your context. And do not forget that although others might have a lot more expertise with the methodology, you are the ones who best know your company. Thank
2: you. All right, well thank you very much. Um, That was an excellent presentation and we are taking live questions from you in the audience. We've had the Bitly link up and I'm sure it will come up shortly again. Um, I have gotten some of those, and so I'll be asking you all some questions from the audience. Um, <clears throat> one that we got early on was which I think this is interesting because you obviously have a giant team, right, of people that are working. So maybe you could share a little bit more about the training program that you use internally, um, what that looks like, how you've developed it, and maybe some of the greatest lessons that you've learned.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, actually, we also learn in this. We started with, uh, with a training of four days and uh, with probably not the best person for it. So people said it was too much time, and we just pivoted and then looked for a person that was really, really engaging. And it was a very good teacher, and it was just one day, combination of theory and practice around business model Canvas. And what is more important is to find the key person. It has to be somebody that is not just teaching because he knows the theory. It's somebody that has lived it, a person that has built his own startups and has been applying in startup so he can provide his own experience or her own experience to this. So it's absolutely key to find the right person. And also from my point of view, is just one day is enough. After that, if you find the right person, like 80% or 85% of the people are just willing to start applying Lean Startup.
2: Great, thank you. Um, I had one question. You said you reached out to a lot of people at Telefonica. You kept talking about you know, getting investment at these different levels, and well, let's go and talk to this person and say transparently, here's what we're doing, and try to get them on board. And it sounds like you had great success with that. Can you estimate about how much time or percentage, you know, while you were in that phase, is that all you were doing or did you devote a lot of time to these conversations or did they come relatively quickly and you knocked them out?
1: Um, it, it, what happens is that we work um, uh, on one side on a project basis and also with the overall uh, set of projects. Uh, these conversations happen on a project basis, right? Because every, each project is very different and has different needs and a different evolution. So it depends on, uh, on the project how, uh, and how many conversations you need to have. Some projects really uh, need a deep involvement. And during that period of, of time that we as mentors are focused on that and on helping with that, it could take us even 50% of our time, but only during a limited period of time. And then after that, things get solved or, or not, and we focus on, on other things. But it depends. On the project, sure. uh, a
2: lot. Okay, great. Um, and also, toward the greater, the larger company aspect, because this is really important here um, how much of the lean startup concept does your top management understand? How much do they need to understand? Um, where are they at in terms of being involved with, with your process?
1: Um, well, uh, first of all, go uh, ahead. First of all, you need uh, to have uh, support from your CEO that to start with, if you want to roll something like this, and then going down in the in the management chain, Susana, you can.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, they they just don't need to understand much. They just have to give you autonomy mm. to do what you need to do, and uh, to empower you. That's absolutely important. Um, So actually, something else we do is we just don't go when when we speak with people in our processes or whatever, we just don't go with the uh, terms you use in the Lean Start app. You just speak in in a way that other people understand it. And that also happens with top management. When we go to top management, we don't talk about validated learnings. We just put the facts there. Look, there are like. 50 50 customers saying, yes, we want it. So it's more like um, from top management, getting empowerment, and then letting you doing things, and then you adapt your language, so everybody in the company understands what you're talking about in their language, not necessarily the Lean Startup terminology.
2: Sure, that's great, thank you. Um, And then we had actually a couple of questions on this. People are wanting to know a little bit more about how you engage with external mentors, Um, and even who they are and if they have any specific qualities that you were looking for, Um, but a little bit more about what that's like.
0: Okay. So um, we have uh, mentors that are people that usually are mentors for for other startups. So they usually work with the startups, so they know very well the methodology, but it's also very important that um, something that we didn't know, for example, is what kind of experiments you make with Lean Startup methodology. So as they work with the startups every day, they know what different experiments you can make to test different different things. So um, what is important is that these people have to be working with the startups for many time, a lot of time before they come with working with us. And also what happens is that these people have a huge network. So they also, when you're in a mentorship with a, with a team, and they're saying, oh, we want to do this. These people very fast say, oh, come on, there is a startup that is doing that. Why don't you speak with them instead of reinventing the wheel or whatever? So the important thing is that these are people that are used to work with startups, and they work with a lot of startups, and they know how to work this way.
1: Yeah. And I would just like to add that besides that, they really need to be able to understand the corporate context. That's very important, because you t- cannot do things in a large company exactly as you do them in a startup. And these people that we have chosen are able to do that. So,
2: Thank you. And then we had two also of this question. Um, how specifically do you prioritize which ideas or projects to work on? And how does that decision making happen? Who decides?
1: Um, We have a a process aligned with the uh, calls that Susanna was mentioning before people can submit their ideas, and then there is an initial filter, because we get many of those, that is based mainly on on quality. It's pretty easy and straightforward to tell when a proposal is well worked and people have really made their homework than when it doesn't happen. Also we want ambition. A large scope and the potential for a large impact. We don't know to need beforehand that is going to happen, but the potential needs to be there. And finally, uh, we look a little bit for alignment with strategy, Mm -hmm. although this is not that strong. So this is how we make the first filter, and it's Susana and I who go and talk to people and tell them why the proposal is not going ahead. Mm -hmm. So we really need to be convinced and have to be able to give arguments. Okay, and, and, and then after this we have like a jury in a VC fashion of different uh, directors and, and top managers within the company from different units and different countries. And we also bring uh, outsiders in. And this is like the second round. People pitch in front of them and then the jury ranks the proposal and there's this uh, final uh, selection.
0: So the jury is just one of the inputs. We take into account more things. I mean, um, uh, if it's aligned with the strategy of the company, the areas we want to work in, and also mm, how powerful the ideas are. I I mean, it's just a ranking we get from the jury is one of the inputs. But we also take into account also, for example, we have a patent office. The input we get from the patent office of how this, the technology or how is the product we can build with this differential is also very important. So we take a lot of inputs, even inside the company. We ask uh, business unit managers also, uh, what do you think about the proposals? Which one do you think? So we have a lot of information with a lot of inputs, then the final decision is, is made.
1: Yes, yes uh, it's very, very important through all this process to give feedback timely and well-worked feedback to people, because they've made an effort and they deserve this feedback. And it's not dramatic either if an idea is not accepted, because based on the feedback, they can go back, rebuild and make a proposal again in the next call, so.
2: Absolutely, thank you for that. Um, There have also been several questions about your customer interview process. Um, Some people have been asking very specifically, how do you know how many numbers of people to choose? How do you do it specifically? Where do you go? How do you know to go to the queue at the Museum in Madrid, for instance? So I was wondering if you could talk about that, um, but also if you have any maybe favorite customer interview resources that you wanted to point out to folks um, where they can go and do their own research, like a favorite expert or a blog or a book or something else.
0: Well, I think it depends, it depends a lot on the project. Because there are projects that are B2B, so it's then when we have to get to our salespeople and say, oh, we need to speak uh, to this customer or this other customer. But then there is the, the, the end users, I mean, people you can find in the street. And there are different ways. I mean, if you're just looking for normal people, you can just go outside. And then something we have learned is when you go to the street, um, people walking, especially in big cities, very fast. You cannot just stop them and hey, can I make it? No. It's Im- so you have to go to places like a queue of a museum because people is just waiting, it's doing nothing, so they are more willing to, to tell you things. But it depends, it depends a lot on the project. Also we had people that have used LinkedIn, for example, to find the right person to interview because you have no other way i mean it's not between you customer but it's somebody you cannot even find also in the in the streets there are people that have created um, a blog and put just uh, like a like three posts or something like that to become like an expert on something and then go on got somebody okay i want to write a post in my blog about what you're doing is it possible to have a conversation and so, I mean, imagination is, is incredible and people has a lot of creativity.
2: That's great. Do you have any other examples like that, of yeah, like uh, really good tactics you found to get? Yeah,
1: uh, Radio Me that uh, you saw the examples there, uh, they focus on elderly people. So they do <laughs> uh, very cleverly. They wait for the sunny days and then go to the parks and talk to them. I remember uh, wanting to have an appointment with them and I would get the answer, "Oh, we don't know. if we can talk to you. It depends on, on the rain. You know, If it rains, then we meet you, and if it doesn't rain, then we can't make it. And I were like, "What? <laughs> what? It doesn't rain in the office?" And they say, "No, no, no, because we need to talk to the grannies, and if it doesn't rain, we are not going to find them in the parks. <laughs> so we really need to look at the weather. You you need to think of who your customers are mm-hmm. and find the spots there that are going to be mm-hmm. more open f- to engage in a conversation.
2: Great, that's a great example. Um, so I really liked how you pointed out the the different general kinds of metrics that you use. Um, one, you said you know you have metrics around validated learning um, and how quickly you're you're learning, and then you also have metrics on the health of the funnel since you are in the enterprise and you have to show that a little bit more. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe some of the specific metrics that you use that are really meaningful to you, or maybe even about a specific project like Radio Me? Sorry, uh, the metrics for? The metrics for measuring success. Yeah, okay. Yep.
1: Uh, on one side, for the projects, as we explained before, we take the validator learning and how fast. Uh, again, I'm sorry, we repeat this every time, but it depends a lot on the project. But as a general rule with experience, we have developed a rule of thumb, because every mentoring session starts with the same question. And this we learned from one one of our mentors, from Mario. Uh, What have you learned since the last time we spoke? And this is a very powerful question, because they really need to have learned something right, to prove that they are uh, progressing. And if after three meetings in a row you start, getting bored, you are always listening to the same story. This is a very clear signal. This is a red flag. The project is not progressing. So this is what we call, among ourselves, the boredom metric. And and then for for the funnel, uh, today I could say that we have something like 50% of projects that have died or have been killed or something like 15 to 10 uh, may transfer already into the business units, and the rest ongoing, which
0: for us is pretty good. Yeah, but the, the, the thing is that what is important for us is, I mean, the success is when you create something that ends in a business unit and it's commercialized. It doesn't matter if it's a new product or you are adding something to an existing product that has made uh, make it differential from the competitors products. But for us success is that. It's just reaching the market. Right. And it's our main objective.
2: Great. Um, what advice would you give? I know a bunch of people are here trying to learn how to do this in your own businesses. So what advice, you know, if you had my top two tips, what advice would you give to people who are trying to do this, um, you know, especially trying to go it alone and they're large enterprise companies?
0: Well, first, start is small. Don't start as let's change the company completely from the beginning. It's just start small. And then while you keep learning and you see things are going well, you continue growing, scaling up gradually. And um, from my point of view, another, another tip or would you like to uh, okay so uh, another tip also very important is that you have to adapt it to your context to your company I mean this is what it has worked for us at Telefonica probably some um, things might work in another companies but not necessarily all will work in a different company. I mean, each company has its culture, it has its own processes, it has even works in a different industry, and that is something you have to take into account, so you must adapt this to your company and to your context. I don't know if you want to add. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, that's it, and find help. If you don't know how to do it, find help uh, with uh, uh, or mentors or with trainings, or reaching out uh, to other people that are trying to do the same thing. In a large company, that's another option, which is uh, cheaper, let's say.
2: Great. Um, and I think this is going to be the last question. So you're innovation leaders in Telefonica and your company. What does that look like for you day to day? For me, it's
0: a uh, reward, really, working like this. It's uh, fantastic. Well, it's really like a roller coaster. So sometimes you're up and you're just like, I'm going to eat the world, and some days you're <laughs> absolutely down and you don't know really if it, this is the end. But I mean, I I enjoy my work a lot. I mean, and also, particularly our job is great because you see what other people are doing. So we have an overall view of uh, what other people are doing, and and it's great how they are changing, how the company is changing. So I mean. Uh, just yeah. enjoy my work and a lot. You,
1: you have the opportunity of be part of so many stories. Um, our projects are very important for us. We got really involved. I don't know if that's healthy, but we do. And we are always learning. Um, I don't remember the last time that I did something I knew how to do beforehand. So it's a great opportunity to make sure we
2: don't rest. All right, well, that's it. So let's give another round of applause. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you.